Hello and welcome back to All Over the Place, the holiday edition. I guess it'll be the final of the holiday editions as we have Christmas. Hanukkah started today, so happy Hanukkah to our Jewish brethren out here in the ether world. And also Christmas is one week away. So, uh, and we are very excited tonight on uh, to this week's episode, welcoming our first member of the two-time club, the multi club and dr graham spanier is going to be joining us to talk about his book in the lion's den the penn state scandal and a rush to judgment and his ongoing book tour with that one and jim culver how are you my friend i am very good sir how are you doing excellently thank you despite the fact i am in a sweatshirt not cool when you live in arizona and pardon all puns with that one but uh it is it's in the 40s man Crimea right. River. I'm 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 down. I'm almost down to zero. So Crimea River over there. I know. I know. I got to take things. You know, with, with the uh, the literal grain of uh, salt slash sand out here. I get it. I do. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, but hey, it's at least my Penn State sweatshirt. Hint. <laughs> shameless plug. Shameless plug. As we as we welcome our uh, our guest this evening. So uh, yeah. So how's how's everything going uh, holiday wise for you? One week away from the big Christmas. Oh, not too bad. We just got a whole new round of snow to uh, to impede our last minute progress, as Mother Nature loves to do. Boo! But uh, I say thank God for the uh, the Amazons and the online ordering places of the world. But uh, that uh, the snow does it does impede the uh, delivery trucks. So Indeed. yes, it does. Yeah, and, and the and the actual cars that, that I, when I try to drive to places, but that's, yeah, uh, that, 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 that's that's never good. So yeah. But uh, yeah, so as, as I mentioned right before you got on, uh, Dr. Spanier is going to be joining us today. Our, our, uh, our first member of the two-time club here on All Over the Place. Right on. And so, uh, so I got to think about it. It's uh, always good. And I'm, I'm excited. You know, I've been following uh, Dr. Spanier's progress with the, the, on the uh, promotional trail. And uh, it's uh, looking, looking like the, uh, well, I'm keeping the fingers crossed, but uh, there's a talk of a second printing coming up for the book. That, that might be in the works. So, uh, yeah. Very cool. So, and Marty's going to be joining us uh, shortly. We, right. we, we we missed you last week, Marty. Indeed. But, I think uh, I saw him jump on for about five seconds and then jump back off again in, in mid-conversation. Oh, l- last week or, or this one? Yeah, last week. Yeah, l- last week. It was as befitting of, of anything involved with me and online shows. And I, I hate to sound like, you know, the, uh, a, a doomsayer with it, but technical difficulties tend to follow me around with these shows. So I do what I can. I do what I can. So, yeah. So, and, uh, Oh, I, I've got a, a new movie to add to the uh, Christmas list. The Christmas movies list is going to be part of my uh, annual viewing now, I think. All I'm right. Which, which one would that be? Or you want to talk about it later? Oh, you know, we've got some time to kill right now. (laughs) I mean, time to discuss. Uh, But Violent Night Ah, was awesome. Nice. So a little brutal, a little brutal, but, you know, it's, you know, uh, cast, great. Uh, Twice this year now, John Leguizamo has come on uh, bemoaning the uh, class warfare. His characters have been uh, doing that between that and the menu. So I was say, I, I, I'm assuming that John Logan's almost dies at the end, which is probably worth the price of ticket alone. <laughs> it, it, that could be the name of a, a movie in and of itself. John Leguizamo dies at the end. <laughs> Good reference. 
and hey, thank you. And uh, Martin Zamora, Marty, how are you, my friend? Welcome back. Doing well, doing well. Thank you, sir. Yay, no technical technical difficulties with Marty this week. Awesome. No, I was just saying, uh, letting uh, Jim know that I've added Violent Night to my now annual list of Christmas films. Ah. Hot holiday fair. But uh, D- David Harbour was excellent, playing a uh, slightly disillusioned Santa Claus uh, who uh, you know, just finds himself, fi- finds the spirit of Christmas again. So, yeah, it's uh, a damn fine, if not violent film. So, yeah. I'm going to hop on that sometime this week. Sometime during the Hanukkah week. <laughs> exactly. And, are, 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 what are some good Hanukkah movies? Or do we just have uh, Eight Crazy Nights from Sandler? Is that the only Hanukkah-themed movie? Uh, don't, you know, um, that's the only one I can think of. I mean. Yeah, I can't think of any at the moment. We've we've got to get Hanukkah Harry on the case. The, uh, the John John Lovitz might be available to uh, to uh, resurrect the uh, Hanukkah Harry character. Well, since <laughs> uh, since Harrison Ford is uh, part Jewish, I think they should get him into a movie where he can put the Han in Hanukkah. <laughs> oh, look at I see what you did there. We're, we're punny tonight. This is good. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, according to the Google machine. Um, there are several. Hit us. Uh, Enlighten us, my friend. Uh, mistletoe and menorahs. That's a rom-com of garbage. There's one just <laughs> called Hanukkah. Uh, let's see. Oh, I just thought of one, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Little fuckers. Um, <laughs> the priest, what, what do you got? The Hebrew hammer. Yes! Uh, there you yeah. go, the Hebrew hammer. I can't believe now, I didn't think of that. that. Just, yes. Now, is that on your list, uh, Marty? Uh, it's it is on the list, but not as a uh, Christmas movie or a Hanukkah movie. Just about a no. He say it. You're right. He saves Hanukkah in that. I just I'm just remembering the movie. Yep. Uh, Adam Goldberg from, from Indy Dick. I'm gonna watch that with my uh, my very Jewish wife. <laughs> Adam Goldberg, you know, going from dreaming about uh, Abe Lincoln and compromising positions in Days and Confused to the lead role in Hebrew Hammer, saving Hanukkah. <laughs> Would you call that a lead role? Lead, lead role, lead role, the the, the title yeah. role. Yeah, I mean, well, there you go. Okay, and lead lead the stretch. I mean, let's, let's face it; it's uh, wasn't a cinematic. Anyway. <laughs> well, you can you can have a lead role in a terrible movie. It's still technically a lead role. It's just not a not a uh, noteworthy one, shall we say? Oh, yeah. So that, that's a good point. Just uh, <laughs> just ask fill in the blank. <laughs> it's that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down. <clears throat> Based on Hanukkah, or is it just a Jew thing? That's a good question. Yeah. Oh, and I was also lucky enough to see this uh, this past week. I saw Gremlins on the big screen for the second time in two years, but in 35 millimeter. And it, Which I know you're a huge fan of. You, you cannot beat 35 millimeter for the cinematic experience. As the losing French team would say, c'est impossible. <laughs> okay. 
What, what little, you know, six years of French, right, right down the drain. That's, that's all I, I just remember yeah. silly little phrases like that. So, uh, yeah, so I've done a little poking and the movie Hanukkah is a, a B-rated horror movie. A group of Jewish young adults oh. are in a festival of frights. Guys, take the reins. Dr. Spanier's on the phone. One sec. I'm going to go, I'm going to go right. uh, silent for a second. All righty. Yeah, apparently, uh, with the help of a rabbi, they deduce that they are being targeted because they have violated Judaic law and that their only chance of survival is to embrace their faith. So it's like a, a scared Jew, like scared scared straight, but, you know, scared, uh, scared okay. Jewish kid. Interesting. Yeah, and there's like a trailer rolling. It's muted, but boy, it's just <laughs> one Jew after another in this movie. So this is now, one I almost brought up. Uh, this is one I almost brought up in our la our last discussion about Christmas movies. Is a movie called Santa's Slay S L A Y. Uh, it's basically a horror movie with with uh, Dave Goldberg as an evil Santa who murders people. Um, which yeah, so it's a Christmas is... movie, but but since Santa is played by Goldberg, I think you can almost call that a Hanukkah movie. And, th and that is and that is intentionally ironic casting. I'm sure. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure of it. Yes, <laughs> and it is is a very entertaining B movie, by the way. If you ever get a chance to check it out, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, it's, it's pretty have, but uh, it sounds it sounds excellent. But I may have. Uh, it it seems like I did. Yeah, it came out a while but ago. My advanced age. Uh, there's many, many movies that have disappeared from the ether i understand it is my memory somehow i retain the movies but i i can't speak for anything else that, that <laughs> stays there but the movies the movies do thankfully <clears throat> yeah my my curse is that uh i can only remember things if it was you know 20 years ago or more <laughs> well Good nothing point. nothing's happened since then that's worth remembering anyway so that's fair <laughs> My wife would beg to differ. I got married, but you know. Well, yeah, there's that. I'm talking about like world events and oh, cultural yeah. cultural events, things along those lines. There's a little blip there a couple of years ago, but we knew that wouldn't last. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, Violent Night has happened in, in the last two weeks. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Nothing like entering halfway through a conversation while I was away. So, uh, yeah, we... Uh, one of those technical difficulties, Dr. Spanier is going to be uh, checking back in via his smartphone. So we were, okay. we were talking about you the whole time. So you can, you, you can come back later. Well, we're done talking about you. Okay. Well, uh, it was nothing significant in 20 years for me. Let me, let me think about that. Oh boy. Some people would beg to differ on that one. I'm just going to leave that one alone. Well, we'll let your, your ego decide whether or not we're talking good or bad eh. about you. Well, you know, as as the fabled show goes, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have. Yes, indeed. Like a Vigo, like a Vigo. No, you know, doesn't, doesn't flow as well. I'm surprised. I'm sure some of them did, but I'm surprised a uh, one of the leading punk bands didn't cover that. That'd have been excellent. Okay. Do you hear me? Hey, Doctor Spanier, welcome into the show. Well, thank you. 
And let's see, Jim, you have met before in this little crazy virtual meeting thing. Jim? Indeed we have. Good, good, good to have you back. Thank you very much. And uh, welcoming uh, a, a new co-host on the show, Mr. Marty Zamora. Marty, Dr. Graham Spanier, Dr. Graham Spanier, Martin Zamora. Pleasure Hi there. Thank you for uh, gracing us with your presence. Yeah, it took me a while to get uh, connected. I had to download the app again and and get on. Uh, are we only on uh, audio or yes. is there video also? No, we are, we are audio only this time around. I okay. Mean, uh, same as last time, audio only. And uh, yeah, and just the inaugural member of our Back for War Club. So uh, congratulations, Dr. Spain. You can put that on that long list of accomplishments that I uh, introduced <laughs> you with the last time around. So. All right. Maybe not as strong as the racquetball champion, multiple racquetball champion, but you know, it's, it's something. So, but, uh, and we were talking a little bit earlier uh, uh, in the intro uh, in regards to the possibility of a second printing coming up for In the Lion's Den. So uh, any progress on that or just uh, just more than speculation at this point? What, what's the status? Well, we've been tracking the sales and we'll have a meeting in a couple of weeks to uh, see how sales went over the Christmas holiday and whether uh, it's worthwhile to go to a second printing. But uh, obviously, uh, the book has been selling well, and we're very pleased with that. It's not so much that, you know, we care about the sales per se, because uh, we, we didn't do any of this to make money, but I'm so pleased that so many people have ordered the book, so many people have read the book, and I've received, uh, and this isn't an exaggeration, literally hundreds of emails from people who have read the book sending me comments and thoughts about it, which has been very fulfilling. And uh, what have some of the uh, reactions been in terms of like, you know, like positive, positive, possible, you know, anything you didn't think about before or more important for me as I've been sharing it and, uh, and, and over this 10 plus years of in the wake of the scandal, any surprise reversals of opinion? Um, reversals of opinion are a little to judge. Yes, there's a few people who have written to me who've said that they have a a different perspective than they originally did. But the main reaction that I'm getting is that people are are grateful that I wrote the book. Uh, even people who thought they knew all the facts and had had the story well understood are realizing that there was a lot more to it. Uh, everybody has said that they've, they've learned some new things and it's been helpful to them. And believe it or not, uh, the response has been uniformly positive. And that's just been a, a great thing for me uh, after going through all of the trauma that I did over more than a decade. It's kind of a silver lining now to hear such positive responses from so many people. And also uh, not just, hey, I enjoyed your book, but uh, 500 or so emails that I've received are generally very long emails with people, uh, thoughts, in some cases commiserating, in some cases pouring out their hearts. It, it's, uh, it, it, I answer every email and it, it's just been an incredible experience. Amazing. That, that's, that's, I can't even begin to say how, how, how great that makes me feel just as we 
as we learned the last time around, you were on the show. I'm, I'm a bit impassioned about this particular event and, and everything that's, that surrounds it. So nothing but positivity. That is so, so cool. Excellent. And uh, I've actually had the chance to reread the book and have a much clearer head this time around and not uh, constantly just balling my, my fists up again over, uh, you know, uh, Governor Corbett or everybody else involved with it. So, yeah, it's just a, you learn so much and just and I'm glad people have been able to walk away with different perspectives and be grateful for it. I think um, one of the interesting aspects of, of all of the feedback, not not just the 500 or so emails that I've received, but I I have done nearly 30 appearances now or around the country, the largest number in, in Pennsylvania, of course. Uh, but in some other states as well. And we've had more than a thousand people show up for book signings and for discussions about the book. And uh, and I've had a couple of online uh, broadcasts, I guess you would say, where we've had probably between the two that we've done about 150 people uh, sitting in on those discussions, each of them about an hour and a half. And answering you know all the questions that that come up and uh, one of the things that that i come away with is that uh people take away different things from reading the book and from the discussions they they focus in on different aspects of it uh which is not surprising because there's 30 chapters and there's a a lot packed in there but also i come away with a a very profound conclusion that this book wasn't for me just getting the history down in writing so that there was a, a truthful and accurate accounting of what really happened, but it represents a vindication for so many people around the country, thousands of people who knew that the original story they were hearing in the mainstream media about Joe Paterno, about administrators at Penn State, about me, people who knew that the story couldn't be right or probably wasn't right and were speaking on behalf of us and the integrity by which we've operated the university and our athletic programs, it's a vindication for them because they defended us and they were telling people who were questioning what happened that the story they were getting was not right or it wasn't the whole story. And now the book represents a vindication for them. Now they can say, aha, uh -huh, this is what I knew was likely the truth. And you've provided us with the facts and it, it, it makes me feel better that uh, we now know the truth. Well, it's what Joe Paterno wanted right from the beginning of this. And as with anything, you shine light on the truth and only good things can happen, I think. I, th I think that's that's right. And, you know, that was my purpose in, in writing the book in the first place is we, we discussed you know, the last time we, we talked about this on, on your podcast. And uh, now I, I feel even more that this was an important thing to do. It was important to go to the effort over a period of years to, to write this book 
and then to uh, get it in people's hands, to get it distributed, and to accept every invitation I've received to go and, and speak about it around the country. And uh, once again, if I didn't say it uh, precisely the last time around, you've, you've definitely done our university proud. And uh, thank you again for doing this. And, and Vindication's just, you know, just a, a happy byproduct of it. So thank you again, Dr. Spanier, for writing the book. Well, thank you for, for saying that. And, let me uh, add, sir, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, uh, thank you so much for your tenacity. Um, I'm not a Penn State alum, um, but I'm a large, huge, enormous fan of truth and um, someone who's willing to put themselves out there and, and continue to um, do the hard thing so that the truth, the real story, however, however you want to state it, can be put forth. And you know, I, I'll tell you, Eric is, uh, he's led the way on this one in, in, in my sphere, uh, and, you know, really opened my eyes to how, how quickly things can get, uh, get unspun, so to speak. And, uh, in, in this social environment we're in now, I, I applaud you, sir. Well, thank you. One of the themes of so many of the responses I've gotten is, uh, is thanks for sticking with this, for having the fortitude to see it through, uh, for surviving it, and for for not giving up. Also, you know, for being willing to challenge people in positions of authority who, uh, I don't want to say conspired in the way we usually talk about a conspiracy, but at some level who conspired to do this to Penn State, to its alumni, its students, its administrators, its athletic program, its football program, to the reputation of Joe Paterno and, and others. Uh, a, a lot of people have expressed their gratitude for the fact that I didn't back down and I, uh, I continued on this path. Uh, you know, they thank me for for not saying that I was guilty of something that I wasn't guilty of. And I, I think that um, in, in some ways I, I didn't have a choice. I mean, it's I, I had to stick with it. it it's, it's in my nature to begin with. Uh, but also, you know, what what is the alternative? Uh, you, you, you have to push back. And, you know, fortunately, I, I had so much support from so many people as I went through it, not, not only my family and friends, but, but thousands of people that I didn't know, people who, to whom this story was important, who were following it, who came out of the woodwork, so to speak, to to urge me on, to egg me on, and, and to offer support. There were also dozens of people, I, I mentioned uh, a number of them in the acknowledgments uh, of the book, who have spent years doing research that was very valuable. People who were looking at emails, looking at, at media reports, looking at the facts, reading depositions from 
from trials and from testimonies and lawsuits and uh, sharing with me their research that backed up what I was saying and uh, uh, was contrary to what prosecutors uh, and, and some media uh, reports, some journalists and broadcasters were were saying in their in their reports. John Ziegler, we're, we're looking at you, buddy. <laughs> well, John is certainly one of them. Oh yeah, uh, and- spending years, absolutely years, and hundreds, maybe thousands of hours of his own time trying to to get to the truthful story. Uh, I mentioned people like Ray Blehar and Eileen Morgan uh, and and so many others. Uh, now, these individuals uh, occasionally will disagree on a minor fact, uh, but 99% of, of what they all concluded in their own research uh, supports what other researchers have have concluded. So, you know, I I will always be grateful to those individuals who work so hard to get to the bottom of the story. Absolutely. And uh, you know, one thing that we we that you had in the book and uh, we touched upon a little bit in in the last podcast was the prison reform that you're uh, going to be you were inspired to take up. And uh, what's the progress looking like on that so far? Well, yes, the last chapter of the book is called Incarceration, and it was about the the two months that I had to spend in a correctional facility uh, as the case progressed and the various prosecutors and the attorney general just absolutely refused to give up, kept coming up with uh, new charges after other ones were thrown out, appealing uh, appealing charges after they were thrown out at a at, at one level or another, and those two months that I I spent in the correctional facility, uh, followed by two months under house arrest, followed by a, a year on probation, um, that was an experience that was both horrible and educational. Of course, it was horrible because you're in prison, <laughs> and and I write in some detail what it is like because most of the readers of the book, probably virtually all of the readers of the book, uh, would never know what it is like on the inside going through that. And uh, you know, you you understand that they have to run jails and prisons somewhat like what they do, but it's not completely functional. There are are flaws in the system, and I have been committed to changing that experience to the extent that I'm in a position to do so. So I have become a contributor to something called the Innocence Project. As soon as I got out of the jail uh, almost immediately, I had a two-hour meeting with the head of the county commissioners that oversees the correctional facility nearby that uh, includes inmates from uh, 14 or 15 different counties. Uh, I met with the uh, 
the administrator, the county administrator, as well as the uh, the head of the uh, commissioners. Uh, I have met with uh, a representative of the Pennsylvania Prison Society and uh, someone who heads up a project that uh, involves uh, teaching prisoners to write uh, a journalism prison project. So I've, I've tried to touch base with the system from a number of different angles. It's hard to get very active in something like that because um, it's, it's a closed system. And while there are advocates on the outside, it's not as if you can just uh, waltz in there and start making changes. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to invite you in or get you involved. Well, that, I'm, I'm going to keep the fingers crossed and uh, and, uh, and prayers for that to, to a program like that to succeed. And just the best best of luck with that one moving forward. No doubt about that. So, Mr. Spanner, uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, the current trend of privacy? privatization uh, of the, well, at least the, the penal system when it comes to prisons. I know county is still run by the county, but uh, I don't know what it's like in Pennsylvania, but here in Arizona, it's quite a quite a thing to have uh, privately owned prisons. I, I can't say as, as uh, I have much expertise on that. Uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, we have an, an extensive array of state penitentiaries. We have uh, uh, county jails. Uh, people are generally in county jails if their sentence is two, year, is two years or less. And in a state penitentiary, if it goes beyond that, and there is some movement back and forth for various reasons. I, I was incarcerated with some people in a, a county correctional facility in a county jail that were on their way to a, uh, a state prison. Uh, and then uh, I was incarcerated with, uh, with people who had been in and out of jail or prisons several times. Uh, one of them, I think the largest, uh, uh, the greatest number was 13. He had been incarcerated 13 different times in uh in prisons and jails across Pennsylvania. And as I recall, he also spent time in uh, Cook County, Illinois, which is in the Chicago area. So as I got to know these guys uh, a a little bit, you hear their stories, uh, their life stories, their stories that landed them there, but also their experiences in other facilities. Uh, One of the people who was in the cell next to me and had been in and out of an, a number of facilities was telling me how lucky I was that I wasn't in the Dauphin County, Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, which is the county in which the uh, uh, the uh, state capital is located, uh, where I was initially assigned. He said, you're lucky there because the time I, during the time I was there, six people died. Now I thought, he was exaggerating, but a report came out last week saying that actually uh, since 2019, 16 people have died in the Dauphin County jail. So it's, um, you know, here in Pennsylvania, I I believe it's 
it's mostly uh, a county and state run. Now, I know in other states, uh, there are privately owned and operated facilities. I have a, a certain degree of suspicion about them because oftentimes when governmental affairs, let's call it, uh, are run by private enterprises, it's done with a profit motive and corners may be cut and there may be less control, fewer checks and balances. And so I'm not saying that it, it's a bad idea or that it doesn't work. I'm only saying that I would have some suspicions about it. Well, then you, you also bump up against a, a myriad of other things, uh, lobbyists being one of the things. Um, if you're, if you're uh, a lobbyist for a large uh, conglomerate that owns many prisons, you're going to lobby for <laughs> potentially laws that agree with what your business plan is. Yes. Potentially. It, Right, right. It's, um, you know, sometimes state or national governments have to privatize their activities. Uh, that's, that's understood. And uh, it, it's possible that it could run more efficiently. Uh, in the correctional facility where I was, they call it a correctional facility. Uh, there's not much corrections going on, by the way, in correctional facilities, in, in my opinion. But I talk in the book about uh, the two aspects of that particular correctional facility that are privatized. And uh, both of them have significant problems in my mind, and I talk about them a little bit in that last chapter of the book. The one is the telephone system. The telephone system is run by a, a private enterprise, which has, a, it appears, a near monopoly nationally in such services, and they charge inmates a, a, a fortune, far, far more than a phone call would cost in, in, in any other situation. And uh, it's, it's a system that is broken a lot of the time. Uh, it doesn't work very well. It's costly. That private entity has had run-ins in lawsuits and run-ins with the FCC. Uh, and the other privatized system that you run up against is the commissary. So inmates, uh, they are issued a uniform and uh, one toothbrush on the way in that's three inches long. You have to be careful not to swallow it. Um, and uh, that's about it. And then everything else you have to buy. Now, I was the only person in my cell block of about 30, to use a round number, who had a private attorney uh, who actually had any money to speak of. Uh, you don't bring any money in with you. Somebody has to put it on your account. Uh, and so these people, there was very little that they could afford to buy from the commissary uh, at inflated prices. It, it's, it was such a sad situation that I was able to buy and afford toothpaste. 
now you have to buy the toothpaste that they're selling. But when I finally left, I had toothpaste left over and I had one of the inmates come to me and almost in tears ask me if I could leave him the rest of my tube of toothpaste. Of course I did that, plus everything else that I had, shampoo, um, uh, anything and everything that I had from the commissary, I turned over to the other inmates because they didn't have these things. And when I got out, one of the first appointments I had was with my dentist. And I said, my dentist, you know, was very supportive of me and, and said, you know, how was it? What happened? And I, I, I was telling her about it. And I said, you know, there's no dental care. There's no dental care in the prison. They don't, they don't have a dentist and there's no dental care. And there are people with significant dental problems. I diagnosed a couple of root canals. Uh, nobody else was going to tell them that they needed a root canal or that they had an abscess in their mouth. And I, I was telling my dentist that they don't have toothpaste. And she said, well, you know, we get these little one ounce or whatever tubes of toothpaste from the toothpaste companies to give out to our uh, our patients after each of their dental cleanings. I always get one. You guys probably do too. And she said, we, we've got a whole closet full of them. Uh, so I called up the warden and asked him, would I be able to donate these boxes of, of toothpaste to the inmates? He said, yeah, okay, that's all right. Now, I was under house arrest, so I couldn't go out there. I'd have somebody else deliver the toothpaste out there. But uh, at least for, I don't know what, a couple of weeks, all the inmates there could brush their teeth uh, and they had toothpaste. That's how bad it is there. And that's just one example. That's just one example. I, I could talk for hours what it's like and what a difficult life it is for the folks in there. And, you know, and I was in a, a cell block where I had a little bit of freedom of movement. I mean, you have to be in the, in your cell uh, quite a bit of the time, but when 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 I had to go to the bathroom, I was allowed to walk out of the cell into a nearby uh, urinal to go to the bathroom. So, you know, I had a little freedom of movement and and uh, a little bit of privilege that way because I was in a cell block that was somewhat lower security, not like where I I had to start out in solitary confinement. Uh, and and that's a, a horrible experience. They call it the hole. And uh, I talk about what it's like in, in the book to be in the hole for days on end where you're just in this six foot by 10 foot cinder block uh, cell with no window and sleeping on a metal platform with a plastic cover. Uh, a metal platform that's bolted to the wall. No pillows allowed um, in in the prison. Uh, you things you take for granted in your life, like sleeping on a pillow, <laughs> you realize all of a sudden that doesn't exist <laughs> uh, in in this situation. Well, it's a 
Go ahead, Eric. Oh, no, so no. If, just uh, switching gears. So if if someone was listening to this or had just read your book and was kind of inspired uh, and they asked you, what, 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 what could I as a regular person do to to help with these reforms? What would you tell them? Well, there are organizations like the uh, the prison journalism project where they're doing good things. The uh, the innocence project. I mean, there are ways where people can can make financial contributions, but uh, but I'm not sure there's a lot that the average citizen can do. Uh, some uh, prisons and and uh, jails have work release programs. Um, in in the the jail I was in, there is a, a program where they let some inmates out during the day under supervision to uh, help with uh, furniture restoration uh, at a at a facility. But um, that didn't happen during my time because of COVID. So I, I was sent in at the height of COVID, and uh, there was n- there's no outside exercise yard. Th- there's no, uh, y- you know, everybody uh, has to spend two weeks in solitary confinement coming in uh, to make sure they're clear of COVID. And, uh, you know, if, they, if you can prove you're vaccinated, uh, as I was able to do, then I, I got some days off of that but I still had to spend a certain number of days in, in solitary confinement. Uh, so that there's not a, there's not a lot that people can do on, on the outside, but, but in each community, yeah, check and see what, what might be possible. And Marty, you had something you're going to go with. Oh, no. Uh, what I was going to, uh, what I was going to say is that, uh, uh, back to the solitary thing um you nobody everybody thinks that they're okay being alone and most of the time you are it's fine i, I rather enjoy it until mm-hmm. you're forced to be alone for more than a day or so and, and i'm guessing you can attest to that sir that that's when it really starts to wear on you yeah it it actually started to wear on me after a couple of hours <laughs> uh, i I guess part of it's psychological because you know you are stuck in there and you're not getting out and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, if you're hungry, it's not like you can put in an order for food or go to the refrigerator. Uh, you know, when I was put in that cell, uh, and it, it's not like you see on TV where there are bars and you look out the bars or you stick your arms out of the bars and you yell at other people. What you got is a thick, heavy steel door that is operated remotely and shuts completely. And there's no communication with anybody except three times a day, a little flap opens. It's maybe I'm, measuring it with my fingers right now. It, it might be three inches high and they open that slat from outside and they slide in the meal. It's in a styrofoam container 
It's usually cold and it is usually inedible. That, that first meal came, it was supposed to be a lunch. It was at 1030 in the morning and I couldn't recognize what it was. It, it's what they call bologna, uh, but the inmates call it sweaty Betty. It, mm. Apparently they, they take meat bologna scraps and compress them and then they slice them up. And that was the lunch. And they every meal was served with an imitation of Kool-Aid. It was a, that's the only way I can describe it. It it was Kool-Aid and that, that was the standard drink that came with each meal. And then you slide, they come by and collect your styrofoam containers and, and you are just in there. Um, I think they might've made an exception in my case and let me have a book. They let me bring a book in with me, but I, in reading the manual of rules later, there are more than 300 rules that you have to follow. And if you break any of them, you could be put back in solitary confinement, back in the hole. Uh, I, I don't, I, I think they allowed me to, to have that book and thank goodness I had it. And it was about an 800 page book. And I did read the whole thing while I was in solitary confinement, but it, it's, it's very lonely and, and your mind starts to think about ways to to use the time and you probably sleep more than you normally would, except it's very uncomfortable and it's cold. Even in the summer, it seems very cold. Um, and, you know, you, you have no contact with anyone and, and there's a, a little tiny slat in the metal door that you can look out of and you see you see, you know, like one inmate at a time let out or a few might be let out for a short period of time, but then they ha all have to go back in into their uh, into their cell and, and the door closes behind them. Boy, that sounds like a living hell. Yeah. yeah. Well, well sh shifting gears back back to the book signing so i, I definitely want I, and, and folks i cannot stress enough make sure you get dr spanier's book uh in the lion's den the penn state scandal and a rush to judgment that last chapter as the entire book there are so many eye-opening words within it that and like like he mentioned uh with jim and uh just get involved uh, with, with the with the uh with, with prison reform and anything like that just to make just any little thing that that can help it is definitely appreciated by those guys, and uh, without a doubt. Uh, but I, one thing I wanted to uh, talk to you about, uh, Dr. Spanier, with, with the book tour, and uh, you said you've been all over the in different spots of the country so far. Uh, has there any been? Uh, how many stories do you have, or like one or two instances of you know, like a, a significant interaction at the crowds? Or just any encouraging experiences that you've had? Uh, I was giving a a talk in. Uh in New Mexico at a university and uh, in an auditorium. And I, I saw a woman come in who had a peculiar look on her face, like she didn't want to be there or she was there with some degree of suspicion. It, it's the only person at any, any of my appearances that I 
I just thought something wasn't right. So I did what I would normally do. <laughs> uh, as people were gathering, I went and introduced myself to her. And she said, uh, I don't want to be here. Uh, my husband refused to come. And so he's not here. And I don't even know if I'll stay the whole time because, uh, you know, I don't like what I've heard. Uh, and I, I thought, okay. Um, and so I was interviewed on stage by uh, the president. This was at a university by the president of the university uh, and his wife, um, who is, you know, a very uh, noted figure in her own own right. Valerie Plame is her name. And mm -hmm. she uh, she is a, a Penn State alum, by the way. And we've both worked in the national security arena. We're acquainted. And um, after it was over. Um, we opened it up to the audience for questions. And I said, you know, there was a woman who came in and I, I think she had some questions. Why don't we give her the opportunity of the first question? And she said, well, I came in here thinking you were guilty, but now I don't believe you're guilty of anything. Now, I don't know about the others, <laughs> but basically she was saying, okay, you're off the hook with me. So, that was kind of that was the most negative thing that happened and it turned out it was kind of positive um but i have been uh, given other talks where people have come up and asked me if they could hug me i have seen people crying because of what they learned happened to me uh and to others uh, I, I've seen a tremendous amount of emotion. Uh, I have been in settings where there have been standing ovations for things that I have said. Uh, at one of them had the record, there were seven standing ovations during my talk. And it was after making comments like, I think it was a mistake to take down Joe Paterno's statue. And yes, I think it should be put back up and you have a whole group of 70 some people standing up and applauding. Um, so a, a lot of wonderful experiences like that. Uh, and then individuals who, you know, want to talk afterwards or would write me follow up emails. Uh, those, those were very rewarding experiences. Excellent. And, and I also, you know, you can follow, if you're on Facebook, you can definitely, I, I, I highly encourage uh, following the progress of uh, what's going on with the book tour at uh, in the lion's den. Uh, just, just do a search for that simple as that and just follow it along. And I noticed that you've uh, been hitting some tailgates. Yes. Well, the best uh, to interact with any Penn Stater as far as I'm concerned. So. The, <laughs> the, um, the book's website is called SpaniardInTheLionsDen.com. Right. And what we've done there is uh, when we remember to do it, we take a few pictures at each of the appearances and post them on the website. Uh, all of the media interviews that we've done that have been recorded, uh, we, I, we, I've done some television and, and other appearances where we, uh, we didn't get a link shared with us, but... I think, Eric, yours was the first to be posted, one of the first two maybe, uh, and so that's on there. And uh, 
we, we post all the media interviews so people and the, they're all different but people can you know judge for them themselves and in three instances people said would you come to my tailgate before a penn state football game and sign books and i've said yes to three of them one was in the rain but still 25 people came to have a book signed um and the other two uh were in cold weather but uh between those three tailgates we probably had 200 people stop by some of them had already bought the book and brought it with them to be signed others bought the book at the tailgate and uh others just stopped by to say hello and you know i i didn't get one ounce of negativism anywhere in or around beaver stadium it it was you know i i, I figured there might be some but you know within the penn state world there's a, a very different view about all of this than uh you know you might experience as you get further away right from the university and that's something we talked about on, on the on the first podcast and i and the disappointment i've had with my fellow penn stayers and especially the the central pennsylvania community there's been a lot of un, unfortunate you know backlash and just uh, for whatever reasons i don't want to re, re-explore all that but i am so excited to hear that there's not been one ounce of negativity with people coming up to you at beaver stadium and uh, you know and and i'm gonna i just got confirmation i've had my ticket for a couple of weeks now but i got confirmation yesterday that my boys and i will be tailgating at the rose bowl if you're oh. there <laughs> i'm inviting you to stop by and join our fun there so uh, no and actually i won't be at the rose bowl i'll, I'll be oh. with uh with my family back out this way, but uh, I'll I'll be watching it on TV and and rooting for Penn State. And I I did read this morning that Penn State sold out its entire ticket allotment. So uh, I'm glad that that you were able to, to get tickets for you and, and your family. Well, it's uh, and, and as we all know, Penn Staters travel well. So the only thing I have to say to us selling our block of tickets in the most educated of ways is well, duh. <laughs> well, you know when roll. when uh, when I was president of Penn State, uh, I was uh, the Big Ten's representative to the uh, to the Big Ten and to the NCAA, and uh, so I would always be in the room on the Sunday when the bowl selection was done. I would be in the room with the Big Ten commissioner. He and I. Uh, would would be there as the various bowl representatives uh, went through the bowl selection process. And you could always expect that in, in some cases it, it was uh, it was decided who would be in which bowl. Uh, and there was no variation. But in many cases, the bowls, have an opportunity to decide usually between one or two teams uh, within a conference or sometimes beyond a conference and Penn State was always in a very favorable position in those we always got to go to a good bowl and in many cases a better bowl than you might have expected given the record at that time because we travel well as as you say that the Penn State alums will buy the bowl tickets. They will go to the bowl games. 
They will spend a little money while they are there. They'll fill up the hotels. And that's important to the bowl committees, which uh, are uh, community-sponsored events. They're usually charitable events uh, in various communities. And so uh, Penn State always fared well because of its reputation, both for how we operated our athletic program, but also because of our fans. I get accused of being a homer far too many times. So I'm just going to say, yes, yes, Dr. Spanier, I agree with you. And, I'll, and I, I will be <laughs> succinct for once in my life in regards to my <laughs> Nittany love. But, but on, on, that, on that note, just so with the, the book tour uh, stops that are coming up in 2023, and there's Florida, Arizona, and I'm hoping that uh, we're going to be able to get you a stop up here in Phoenix in, in addition to your one in Tucson. Uh, but you've got uh, two coming up uh, locally for you, Altoona and State College. And now, did I read correctly on the site that uh, it's going to be on campus? Uh, well, the the one in State College that's coming up, we've done a couple in State College, maybe mm. three actually. Um, the one uh, that's coming up is being sponsored by the Penn State Bookstore, which is operated by Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. So it it's, um, yeah, I guess it will be technically on campus, but it's not, Penn State isn't sponsoring it. The Barnes okay. & Noble bookstore is. And the same thing is true on the Altoona campus. That's being sponsored by the Penn State Barnes & Noble bookstore there. We, we will have four, five, maybe six uh, book appearances in Florida. We will be doing a Florida swing in the first half of February. And that is being organized now by Mary Beth Schmidt, who's uh, handling the organization of, of these tours. Um, we have been contacted by the folks in uh, uh, Tucson, uh, Arizona, to do an appearance there. But uh, that hasn't, we don't have a date confirmed for that yet. So I don't, I haven't heard back recently what's going to happen. And uh, if we can pair that with something in Phoenix, of course, that would would be very handy. Um, we don't think that the uh, that the Phoenix alumni chapter is going to host something, but uh, we can, uh, you know, in, in many cases as we've done these appearances, it's been a Penn State alum, it's been a bookstore, it's been an organization, uh, it's been a club uh, that is hosted me for these appearances well our mutual friend and i we're, we're we're doing our best to work on the alumni group here so i'm, I'm i got the fingers crossed on that one absolutely uh so and uh now with with the especially uh, hearing about you know how positive the response has been when you're at the uh the, the beaver stadium uh the tailgates there and, and the positivity with with the upcoming ones in state college those uh those maybe a little bit more with the local crowd um, well, here's the thing. We, we did one at a, that was public and open to everybody at a, a hotel uh, owned by an alum right in downtown State College. We had about 80 people there. Uh, that went, went very well. The Penn State Retirees Association, there were 140 people who were there for that. That was great. I was interviewed on stage by uh, an Emmy award-winning broadcast journalist, Katie O'Toole. Uh, Sue Paterno was there 
for that event, and she made some remarks uh, afterwards, uh, and th that was that was a great event. Uh, we also there is a, a a food and entertainment venue uh, in the State College area in in the nearby small town Pine Grove Mills. We had had a sold out crowd of 55 there. That was all they could accommodate. And that was, that went very well. Uh, you know, the thing is, th there are probably some people out there who, you know, have some negativism in their mind ab about this, but you know, it's voluntary to come to an event. Nobody has to come. If, if you don't want to be there, then don't come. And as near as I can tell, nobody has come to an event uh, unless they have either had an open mind or uh, have felt positively about wanting to engage with me. There's also a, a private club uh, uh, here in State College. Uh, private, I mean, it's, you know, one of these organizations. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and they had 55 people there and they that was here in town so i guess there have been several here in town and you know maybe there'll be i know there'll be at least at least one more well I'm, I'm not looking for a yes or no on this one but i can only uh actually i don't want an answer on this but i'm just keep the fingers crossed that that organization was the quarterback club and, the, and more guys from the uh, <laughs> from the football no it it, it, it it wasn't the quarterback club it, it was uh they were called it's called the torch club and I guess there are torch clubs all around the country. You know, there, there are rotary clubs and lions clubs and toastmasters and the torch club. So it, it was one of those kinds of clubs where people get together once a month for dinner and a speaker. Well, then I can only hope that Franco Harris can get the quarterback club to come around for you. And, uh, <laughs> again, now looking for a yes or no on that one. That's just my opinion as a proud Penn Stater. So who, who just wants to continue the positivity with this book and, and all the issues you've got, you've got going on, Dr. Spanier. And again, thank you so much for, uh, for getting the book out there and, and for coming back and visiting us. I, I'm, and folks, again, just head over to SpanierInTheLionsDen.com. You can get all the updates there on book signings and uh, links to, to get the book. We, we, you know, we're in the Hanukkah season officially now as of this weekend, and we've got a week before Christmas. So last-minute stocking stuffers for your Penn Stater and beyond friends. This isn't just a Penn State book. This is uh, just a book that shines a light on a, on a whole lot of uh, nefarious things in, uh, in the state. or Sorry, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, I just bought right. one for a mutual friend. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you, uh, Eric and Martin and Jim. Um, I'm always happy to, to chat about the book, about Penn State, about me, about issues. So uh, you call me anytime. Well, I, I like where we went with uh, Marty and Jim's questions. I think we're going to need to have you on for a different uh, kind of show. And we'll, uh, we'll check in on you with the, uh, the, the journalism prison program and the Innocence Project and all, all that stuff down the line. If you, if you want to come on and talk, I'm, we're, we're always glad to have you. So thanks again, Dr. Spanier, and happy holidays and happy new year to you. And we won't have as cool a tailgate as I thought we might have been able to have, but you're still going to be there in spirit with that book with us. So thank you again. <laughs> thanks so much. All right. Take care. Yep. Bye. Good night, sir. All right. Marty, Jim, we got we got another all over the place in the can. And uh, so thank you guys for, for joining in. And uh being with me on, on the, this little thing we, we call our virtual home. And uh, we're going to get something lined up for next week. And uh, 
Thanks everyone for listening to all over the place here on the Podbean Network platform. Take care, everybody. We'll be back with you soon.